Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. Colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in both men and women. While it typically affects older adults, a growing number of young adults is being diagnosed with the disease. We've seen about a 50% relative increase in the percent of patients under the age of 50 who have been diagnosed with colon cancer. The key to preventing colorectal cancer is regular screening, which is recommended to begin at age 45. Early screening can find precancerous polyps that can be removed before the cancer develops. One of the fundamental problems that we run into with early onset colon cancer is that these patients are not captured early. We have to continue to get the word out that these cancers are becoming more commonplace in younger patients. Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm your host, Dr. Helena Gazelka. Every March, Mayo Clinic joins the effort to raise awareness of the fourth most common cancer in the United States, colorectal cancer. While colonoscopy screenings have reduced colorectal cancer rates in older adults, one area of concern is the increase in colorectal cases amongst individuals younger than the age of 50. Joining us to discuss colorectal cancer in younger people is Dr. Jeremy Jones, a medical oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Florida. Thanks for being here today, Jeremy. Thank you so much for uh, having me, Helena. Uh, I'm uh, ecstatic to, to be here again to talk about uh, I think a disease that unfortunately is becoming far more common, um, something that we definitely need to concentrate our attention on. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about it too, because I hadn't realized this was an issue. And so I'm curious, but before we start with that, Jeremy, would you um, tell us how do we define colorectal cancer? Yeah, so, you know, a colon cancer uh, or colorectal cancer is a cancer arising within the colon or the rectum. Uh, specifically, we're talking about uh, the gland forming tumors or adenocarcinomas uh, that arise with, throughout the colon, um, uh, starting from the cecum, <clears throat> sort of the beginning of the colon, all the way through to the rectum. Um, the anus is actually a different disease altogether. So we're, we're predominantly talking about the colon and the rectum. And what causes colorectal cancer? That is a very much a loaded question. Um, <clears throat> the, the answer is, is that, it, which is true for most cancers is that we don't really know for sure what causes one patient's individual cancer. Uh, we know from a population, when we look at sort of populations, the classic example is lung cancer in patients who smoke cigarettes. Uh, and we know that if you smoke cigarettes, your chances of getting lung cancer are quite a bit higher than if you don't smoke uh, cigarettes. But mm -hmm. I think I've had many patients, and certainly I think all of us know somebody who smoked cigarettes their entire life and they die at the age of 100 after getting hit by a car or something like that. And so, um, you know, the difficulty here is that uh, for any, any individual patient, a risk factor is just that, it's a risk factor. It's not a certainty that you will develop a cancer. Um, and so uh, for colon cancer, there's a number of different uh, potential risk factors. So um, the kind that are, are very, very strongly uh, associated are, there, there's uh, syndromes that are inherited. Fortunately, they're relatively uncommon. Um, we do see them more frequently in the younger age groups, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, fortunately, uh, they're relatively uncommon, and those are, are very high risk. So anywhere between <clears throat> around 30 to 100% chance of developing colon cancer in those patients if you carry that specific mutation. Um, outside of that, uh, there's sort of the things that you kind of grew up knowing that, you know, these are bad for you. So, you know, if you eat a lot of processed meats, that's probably not a good thing from a population standpoint. Um, if you uh, sort of have a lot of bad habits, you drink a lot of alcohol, you smoke cigarettes, um, those sorts of things uh, do increase the risk of developing colon cancer as a population. From an individual patient perspective, 
um, you know, I've had patients come to me and say, well, you know, I've, I've never eaten a steak in my life. I love eating snake, uh, steak, but I stopped eating it 10 years ago because I knew that was going to, you know, cause me to have colon cancer. I think that's probably the wrong message. Um, so a lot of these things uh, come down to moderation as, uh, you know, you've been told in the past, moderation is very important. Uh, and it, it turns out that it's important uh, as it relates to pre preventing colon cancer. Have you seen younger patients in your practice, Jeremy? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's um, it's becoming far more common. So the estimates are that it's about we've had we've seen about a fifty percent relative risk, a relative increase. So overall, it's still if you look at from a again a population standpoint, the vast majority of patients who get colon cancer are going to be older, meaning mm -hmm. above the age of fifty. As I get older, I think that above the age of fifty doesn't mean older, but nonetheless, <laughs> right. they're, they're not the young patients. So as a whole, those are still going to make up the preponderance. But what we've seen is those patients actually, the amount of those patients has declined significantly over time as we've gotten better at screening and, and colonoscopy. Um, but unfortunately, we've seen a trend in the opposite direction for patients under the age of 50. And so we've seen about a 50% relative increase in uh, the, uh, the, the percent of patients under the age of 50 who have uh, been diagnosed with colon cancer. You know, being at sort of a tertiary referral center, I think that I see probably 50% of my clinic um, is under the age of 50. So oh it's a dramatic increase. Now, obviously, I don't think 50% of people who have colon cancer are being seen in my clinic. Um, but just being that we have a referral bias and things like that, uh, I see, unfortunately, uh, a ton of patients uh, who are under the age of 50 uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. What do you think is the reason behind the development of more colon cancers in younger individuals? So it's another million dollar question. And I think that it's, um, it's very difficult to say, I, you know, the, the easy sort of estimate is, um, or the easy answer is, is uh, change in diet, uh, you know, westernized diet uh, throughout the world uh, has increased. Uh, I will tell you that that probably is a simplistic, a simplistic ex, uh, explanation. Uh, there, there's probably a number of different things going on. Uh, there's, we talked about these syndromes that happen in patients that generally you would tend to see them more commonly in younger people. Uh, we don't think that the increase is related to increased risk of these syndromic type episodes. So for instance, uh, Lynch syndrome or um, uh, FAP, uh, familial autonomous um, polyposis. We don't think that it's related to that. Uh, but it's possible that there is other what we call polygenetic risk factors. So not one mutation that causes it, perhaps a interplay of a bunch of mutations. But that still doesn't really answer the question as to why we're seeing more of that now than what we saw in the past. Um, so I, I certainly think that um, uh, dietary exposure might be a possibility, at least uh, adding some. Uh, but again, I think that it's unlikely that it answers the whole question. There are, are certain um, publications that have looked at um, body mass index or BMI, uh, increasing the risk uh, if you had a higher BMI, having an increased risk for early onset colon cancer, but there's others that have shown that that hasn't been the truth. Um, I can tell you in my clinic, I see a lot of patients who are not overweight, obese at all, and are unfortunately develop um, uh, colon cancer. <clears throat> uh, there are people who are looking at uh, the microbiome or essentially the normal bacteria in your gut. Um, and how that interplay affects uh, with cancer. Now, as you can imagine, that's a very difficult thing to study because if we knew you had cancer before, we wouldn't just sit around and wait, right? And so uh, it's difficult to have these pre-samples, but, but there's a lot of research that's going into that. And, and I think that perhaps that could be accounting for it. Um, but ultimately, 
we don't really know exactly why we're seeing these increased incidents. And, and I would tell you that, you know, there's a lot of smart people, much smarter than me, that are researching this. And anytime we've been looking at something for four or five years and we really haven't been able to figure it out, what that tells me is that it's probably a number of different things, as opposed to just one sort of, oh, there was this and that happened. And so this whole population is exposed. It's likely that it's polygenetic plus, uh, you know, microbiome plus all of these other things combined uh, that are unfortunately leading to this, um, this increase as we see. So do you treat a younger individual with colorectal cancer differently than you would if they were older? Um, by and large, we don't treat them completely different uh, in that the chemotherapy that we would use traditionally for most patients is similar uh, based on sort of how, you know, irrespective of whether you're older or younger. Um, now, with that being said, anytime we're talking about chemotherapy, uh, one of the biggest things that goes into it is sort of how is somebody's functional status before they have cancer. So you can imagine that if somebody is 85 and, um, you know, they're a little bit more um, weak, then our arsenal is not really, you know, we're not able to give sort of the strongest uh, drugs that we have. Whereas in general, those patients that are younger, you know, we're able to perhaps be a little bit more aggressive, but that's not always the case. Um, we do try our best to be as aggressive as possible, uh, obviously, if, if that's what the patient wants, but, but I think that uh, it, we do treat them all similarly. Unfortunately, we don't have a silver bullet for early onset colon cancer. We can treat this way, whereas if you have standard onset colon cancer, we treat a different way. Uh, we have not gotten to that point yet. What about um, survival rates, Jeremy? Is it a poor prognosis to have your cancer when you're younger or when you're older? So again, the data is a little bit mixed here. So I think you have to look at it in a few different areas. So if you look at um, you know, all of colon cancer, the median age at diagnosis is about 70. And so by the time you become 70 years old, you have other competing interests, right? So your, your chances of having a heart attack at 70 is quite a bit more than if you're 30. Your chances of having some sort of other problem. And so when you look at five-year survival times, um, it, it's a little bit hard to just say, we, we try to do it. We try to say, okay, this is cancer specific survival, but these things become intertwined. And so it's very difficult to pull out the different layers. With that being said, with those caveats being said, uh, we do think that patients with early onset colon cancer, they probably do a little bit better, but not really a lot better that we would want. So if you look at um, localized, so catching the cancer early, uh, which is probably the most important part as it pertains to colon cancer and survival, uh, on average, if you have early onset, uh, we expect that the five-year survival rates on the order of about 95%, whereas if you're over the age of 50, we expect it's about 91, 92%. So still pretty good, you know, so 95 versus 92%, those are not bad odds. When you get to localized disease, lo or excuse me, locally advanced disease, uh, it drops um, a fair amount, so it's about 75 versus 70 um, and then when you get to metastatic disease, so disease that has spread outside of the colon to a different organ, that's when it becomes a, a fair amount worse. So it goes to about 25% five-year survival for those who are early onset versus about 10 to 15% for those who are late onset. And so uh, one of the fundamental uh, problems that we run into with early onset colon cancer is that these patients are not captured early. And so if you were as a whole uh, over the age of 50, you're far more likely to have been diagnosed uh, at an asymptomatic stage. You had a colonoscopy because you turned 50. And so you got your uh, scan, or excuse me, you got a diagnosed with colon cancer, it was removed, and it was a stage one or stage two. As it turns out, that is far more important in terms of prognosis and survival than anything else we end up doing for you. 
whereas if you're under the age of 50, at least 50 traditionally, uh, um, we have not captured these patients for screening. And worse, we've sort of ignored them. I, I, have, I, I can tell you, unfortunately, I see patients probably at least once a week. It's becoming better now, but where they say, you know, I had blood uh, coming in, in my stool. I told my doctor and they said, you know, you're too young to have cancer. It's probably hemorrhoids. Um, <clears throat> or I had unexplained abdominal pain or unexplained weight loss. And I was told that I was too young to have colon cancer. So unfortunately, we have to continue to get the word out that these cancers are becoming more commonplace in younger patients. So we cannot, as a medical community, ignore these signs and symptoms that, and otherwise, if, if a 70-year-old came to me and said they had blood uh, in their stool and they were having weight loss, most every physician would say that's a concerning sign. Whereas in a younger patient, I think that these signs are being ignored or at least not given enough, um, uh, enough, ev uh, enough um, uh, evidence for this. Well, Jeremy, that begs an obvious question then. Should, shouldn't we be changing the screening guidelines? Yeah. Uh, I know that I was told to start screening at the age of 50, not having risk factors, but what are we doing about that topic? Uh, so we have, uh, to a certain extent, we have started to do that. So um, the national guidelines were changed last year to change um, the average, the risk for screening for average risk individuals uh, from 50 down to 45 years of age. Um, and so that will likely help. Now, when you're talking about a population screening effort, the problem is, is that you're screening patients who are not patients, they're individuals, and most likely they will not have cancer. And so when you, when you think about this, you have to think about uh, from a what is the risk that I have an asymptomatic patient and I put them through a colonoscopy and maybe they have a side effect from the colonoscopy. Now, fortunately, that's uh, very, very rare, but we have to think about these sorts of things when we come into uh, developing that. And so when, when the risk of cancer becomes lower for the population, it becomes more and more difficult uh, to do that. Now, with that being said, uh, I'm biased because I see these patients in clinic and I think that 45 is probably not enough. I think that perhaps we should go lower um, and perhaps maybe in the future, we can integrate some of the newer technologies that we have, such as Cologuard, or there's other uh, blood-based screening tests to hopefully enrich that population of patients with a relatively um, uh, mild test um, so that we can enrich that population, hopefully not miss these patients who are 30, 40, 20 sometimes. Um, I think it will take probably a multi-pronged effort. Uh, um, I don't know that we will be able to um, increase colonoscopic screening to everyone who's gonna be at risk in the future, uh, just because that population will go down and down and down. Um, and then you get into a point where you're sort of screening too much. Now, for the record, I think that 45 is a good move. I'd like to see it at maybe 40, but I understand that there's difficulties as I outlined in sort of both sides. And so my goal for the future is that we can harness some of these other technologies that we have that for uh, less invasive tests to essentially enrich the population. You have a positive screening test, a blood-based test or a stool-based test. It shows us that uh, your risk of having a cancer is quite a bit higher. Then we go on and do the colonoscopy. Um, so I, I think that in the future, that's likely what we'll do. That's what we'll need to do to be able to catch these patients earlier. Jeremy, you were, I think when you said age 45, referring to people who didn't necessarily have significant risk factors. What that's about- right individuals who do have significant risk factors, when do you start screening them? So it depends on the risk factor uh, at hand. So if you have a, um, uh, so one of the more common risk factors that we hear of is somebody who develops um, 
their parents had developed a colon cancer, let's say at the age of 50. Generally, we would say start colonoscopic treating about 10 years before that, with the idea that we will catch that window of change. So uh, if your, let's say, father developed colon cancer at 50, we would say, okay, we'll start colonoscopic treating at about uh, age 40. Now, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, the other thing that uh, um, uh, comes into play is uh, when we look at uh, if you have a syndromic type um, um, mutation. So if for, you know, you knew from your family members that they had um, FAP, uh, which is a very high risk, then we might start screening at the age of 10 or 20 or, you know, 15. So um, whereas in Lynch syndrome, we might change that to uh, starting if, if, you know, nobody in the family has had cancer until uh, age 35, then maybe we start at 30. So there's a little bit more wiggle room and we certainly do try to target those patients, you know, essentially enriching the population of patients who are getting colonoscopic screening. Um, but my hope is that by, uh, you know, unfortunately when we do that, we have to identify that they're high risk. Mm -hmm. And if, as, as I told you before, we don't really know what makes somebody high risk for developing early onset colon cancer. And so I, I hope that in the future, we will do a better job at, at, at expanding to sort of understand who those patients are. Um, but one of the ways we might get there is by using these novel screening technologies and sort of casting more of a wide net and then pulling in and based on those, then we can sort of escalate therapy. But um, uh, that's, that's all um, conjecture at this point, at least. Jeremy, does Mayo Clinic have any ongoing research related to colorectal cancer in younger individuals? Yes, we have a tremendous amount of research looking at all of these avenues. So looking at early diagnosis. So um, uh, we have a, a program um, predominantly run in Rochester, but in other areas where um, uh, Dr. Boardman has been looking at for years now, been collecting samples of uh, tissue from patients who end up having colon cancer, but then also the surrounding tissue. Um, and as it turns out in cancer, sometimes you see an abnormality, but you don't necessarily know it's an abnormality because what's normal, right? So when you're looking in the colon sometimes, having a normal tissue next to it and being able to compare what's the difference between the two, particularly when you look at microbiome or you look at um, uh, other areas, maybe mutational landscape. Well, you might have a mutation that is a normal, um, but if we don't see it in the, in the normal cells next to it, then, then we would say, oh, actually, you know what? This is abnormal. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different um, research pathways that are looking into this. Uh, we're looking at trying to um, uh, grow these patients' uh, cells, uh, what we call spheroids, are essentially out of body. Uh, we take the tissue out and then we grow it in a culture medium so that we can actually uh, recapitulate the tumor itself. Uh, that allows us to be able to do these things outside of the human body uh, so that you know, if we're testing, let's say, a drug that we don't necessarily know is um, you know, particularly helpful, number one, or particularly toxic, we can test it in these things and use that as massive drug uh, profile. So if you have uh, parallel testing, you can test in a bunch of different things. So uh, there's a number of different, really exciting things going on in terms of looking at this, but, um, but fundamentally, I think that the biggest leap or the biggest change that we will make in patients' lives is being able to try and diagnose them earlier. Um, and in order to do that, we really have to get to the bottom of Number one, risk factors, and then how, what can we do to sort of, uh, in those patients who don't have the traditional risk factors, what can we do to identify them? Well, that is fascinating, Jeremy. Any last words you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I, I appreciate you shedding a light on this subject. I would just say that, you know, as a patient or as a caregiver, uh, if you have a patient who you would traditionally think they're too young to have colon cancer, 
we have to change your mind about that. Unfortunately, uh, there is not an age where I would say you're too young to have colon cancer. That's not to say that everybody who has rectal bleeding who's young has colon cancer. I 100% agree that hemorrhoids are more common than colon cancer, but you have to rule those out, right? So just because some, you think somebody has hemorrhoids, that's fine, but you have to prove that it's not cancer. Words of wisdom. Thanks for being here today, Jeremy. Just a reminder that March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And we have been visiting today with Dr. Jeremy Jones, medical oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Florida regarding colorectal cancer and screening. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did. We wish each of you a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org, then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.